It's Monday, August 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from MFAM Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Monday. Thank you. Not in the market so much. There's there's a lot of a lot of stocks going down in the market today. Uh, yeah, not unless you're short. In which case, it's a very happy Monday. Right. So if think about the bears. <laughs> you're, you're like always uh, assuming everybody's a bull. That's true. That's true. Shout out to the bears. Shout are, out to the bears taking a victory lap today. We're having a good day. Um, Praising China. We're gonna dip into the full mailbag. We're gonna. We've got one stock hitting an all-time high. We'll get to that in a second. Let's start with Berkshire Hathaway because, as they are wont to do, Berkshire Hathaway puts out their quarterly earnings report very quietly after the market closes on Friday. Second quarter profit for Berkshire Hathaway was down 11% compared to a year ago. We'll get to their cash in a second. You were saying this right before we started taping. They don't really, they don't really share a whole lot in the quarterly report. There, and there's no conference call. No, no, they're not. They're not uh, giving you a whole lot of additional information beyond the numbers. And if you want to spend the time to look through all the numbers, then you can learn something. But uh, they're not going to do the work for you. Did you do any work? Did you actually look through the numbers? I didn't, but that's not my job. Uh, no, my job was to just show up here and uh, complain about they're not doing the job for me. Then let's talk about the cash. Okay. Because the cash, and I think I mentioned this last week, that Alphabet recently surpassed Apple in how much cash on the balance sheet the company has, because for a while Apple was the leader in that regard. Well, it turns out Berkshire Hathaway has them both beat. Because as of this quarter, Berkshire Hathaway has $122 billion in cash on the balance sheet. Holy cow! How how badly do you think Buffett is dying to spend it? Uh, I well, good good question. Not badly enough to spend it. I mean, he, in which case he's he's kind of rooting for days like today, a lot of them, uh, because he has positioned Berkshire to be ready uh, for taking advantage of what he cannot currently find, which is cheap companies or cheap stocks, preferably cheap companies. He's, he's he would prefer to be. Out there buying entire companies, uh, but uh, rather than portions of companies, as he's stated for a long time. Last week, when Brian Hinman, your colleague at MFAM Funds, was on the show, we talked about Procter and Gamble, which was hitting an all-time high last week. And one of the things we talked about was the pretty fantastic job that Procter and Gamble has done over the past ten years, executing a strategy of shedding a lot of its brands. And uh, making the brands that it has more profitable, um, and exercising pricing power in a way that we don't necessarily think of when we think about household brands, when we think about cleaning products and that sort of thing. We, you know, we don't necessarily think of pricing power. I'm curious, since we're talking about Berkshire Hathaway, the extent to which you think Buffett regrets the Kraft Heinz acquisition because. Not that Kraft Heinz is in the same business as Procter and Gamble. Procter and Gamble, ten years ago, had food products, but they shed those and they decided to just focus on household cleaning, laundry detergent, that sort of thing. And Kraft Heinz, it is a consumer brand business, and it's just not going well at all. So the question is, how much does he regret it? Yeah, eleven. <laughs> I think that's, that's on a scale of one to ten, eleven, or a scale of one to a hundred. You know, on a, on a uh, any Spinal Taps 
scale. Uh, no, maybe maybe like a nine. I mean, he's admitted he overpaid for it. Uh, he's on the record uh, having said that, and he doesn't want to overpay. And certainly, uh, having publicly and and to the very large chunk of money, uh, having taken a uh, you know. Kraft Heinz took a fifteen billion dollar write down, for, you know, back in February, I guess. Uh, and uh, there were a lot better buys out there than what they ended up getting off of that. So uh, I think he would prefer to have, you know, been anywhere else almost. They've got hundred and twenty-two billion dollars. <laughs> Can't they afford to overpay just a little for something? Uh, they can afford to, yeah. But that's not, that's not his game. I mean, his game is capital allocation, right? His game is uh, using cash wisely and waiting for market opportunities. And you know, for a while, it looked like Kraft Heinz uh, was a pretty good buy uh, un- until it wasn't. Uh, I think that they bought it in 2013, and you know, it took it took a little while for the problems there to be revealed and, and to develop. So, uh, you know, it may be overstating it to say that it is that big a regret because it wasn't always as obvious that that it was such a poor buy. Last thing before we move on, shares of Berkshire Hathaway are basically flat for the past year. I don't own shares. Uh, for anyone who doesn't own shares and is thinking about kicking the tires. Is Berkshire Hathaway an expensive stock right now? Berkshire Hathaway is kind of the stock market now. So, yes, it's expensive if you think the market is expensive. It, it doesn't vary at this point greatly from the broader S&P 500. If I'm looking at how it's done uh, over the last three years as a stock, up 12%, market up 13%, up 10 years, 10 and 10. Uh, sorry, five years, ten years, twelve and thirteen. It's it's not varying very much because it is a broadly diversified company, which is now at least uh, more aligned with some of the tech exposure that it didn't have uh, in years past because of its uh, massive purchases of Apple. Uh, but you know, for the most part, I would say look at the S and P 500, and you probably have a pretty good proxy for whether Berkshire's is uh, overpriced. Shares of Tyson Foods up nearly 10 percent and hitting an all-time high today. Third quarter profits for Tyson came in higher than expected, and for all of the talk, let me answer that one more time, one more way, which is uh, Buffett was not uh, Berkshire was not acquiring its own shares over the last quarter at the same rate that it had been. So, uh, you know, quarter ended June thirtieth. Um, stocks went up a lot. Buffett was not buying shares back of of the company during that time. Well, fortunately for him, the annual meeting with the marathon Q and A session is about I don't know ten months away, nine months away. So. By then, he probably won't be getting questions about why he wasn't buying his own stock. I mean, they they bought back I think 400 million maybe of stock in the quarter, which uh, 442 million, which given 120 billion, you know, available, not much, not much of a commitment. Can we move on to Tyson Foods? If you insist, <laughs> I'm just trying to answer your questions. I Late, granted. Um, for all the talk of Beyond Meat. And certainly on this show and on financial television, there's been a lot of conversation about Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods and sort of the rise of plant-based meat substitutes. Tyson Food shares hitting an all-time high today are a nice reminder that people are still eating meat. 
And Tyson is selling it. When you look at all the brands they have under their umbrella, with Hillshire Farms and Jimmy Dean and Ballpark Franks and a host of others, they are. Although you know some of the enthusiasm maybe that uh, tied into Tyson having announced its own plant-based line of, of meat. So uh, they're not ignoring what uh, the opportunities there may be. And yeah, in the meantime, people are going to continue globally eating uh, a lot of meat and other proteins. Uh, and they have not yet benefited, although they expect to from the uh, African swine flu. Uh, virus, uh, which is eliminating huge chunks of uh, China's uh, pork production. And at some point, if trade continues with China uh, from companies in this country, then they'll probably get a little bit of a chunk of that. Um, before we started, David, you were saying, you know, yeah, yes, technically, this stock is hitting an all time high, but it's it's not necessarily as impressive as that might sound because you know they've they've had a I don't want to say a struggling couple of years but certainly if you're if if you've been a shareholder for a few years you're happy it's back where it once was. Yeah, I mean over the long term this has been a pretty pretty good stock uh, over the last five ten years uh, soundly beating the market but less over the last three uh, as they had. Uh, Stock had gotten a little bit ahead of itself. It's not that fast growing a company. Uh, it has benefited a lot from the new tax structure. Uh, and this year, it has rebounded from a couple of hiccups last year. So the stock was depressed going into the end of last year. It's up 50% this year, uh, which is pretty nice. And that, you know, if you're just looking at that one slice of time, looks great. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a pretty slow growing. Uh, item that they're doing a little better, uh, expanding into packaged foods rather than it's really a commodity basis. Tyson as a brand is known, but it doesn't really have any pricing power over the competition. Uh, it's the largest in some categories, um, but uh, I think in in chicken uh, number one and meat number two maybe, uh, pork quite a bit lower on the list. Uh, but the scale does not really give it uh, any great uh, operating advantages. It's not not getting better margins in the competition, and it, the brand uh, does not really give it better pricing power, and it attracts certain attention uh, for uh, the treatment of animals. Uh, being the largest, it's going to get more more of the focus for that. So it's not all to the good. So I mentioned uh, some of the better-known brands that Tyson has under its umbrella. Um, one of the brands that I didn't mention was uh, Original Philly Cheesesteak Company. Is that a favorite uh, back in, in in your old stomping ground in Philly? No, right. I, I guess more of more of just like the local places. Not sure I'd ever heard of it, um, <laughs> but I I was I'm concerned. I'm concerned that uh, it is listed as one of their brands, and that the link takes you to the original Philly Cheesesteak Company page, uh, which states, uh, "Original Philly, uh, you know, is the real deal. We're the category pioneer and leader, still family-owned and operated, now in the second generation." And my question is, what? You're saying back in Philadelphia, people aren't familiar with. I'm saying it can't be family owned and operated unless you're talking about the Tyson family owning it and operating it. I mean, maybe it's operated, family operated, but it seems to be owned 
by Tyson. Um, I'm I'm sure they make a fine uh, frozen cheesesteak. Not that anybody wants to eat frozen cheesesteaks from when you have the opportunity, as one does in Philadelphia, to get them virtually on every street corner. Yeah, fresh. It, it is pretty great. Uh, one of many reasons to go to Philadelphia. Many high on the list though is the cheesesteak. When when was your last trip to Philly? I think a couple of years ago actually. So time to get back there. Yeah, even if it's just for a day trip to get you know a cheesesteak. Cheesesteak, catch a couple games. I don't know about catching a game, a couple of games. I'll catch a couple of cheesesteaks. Hear the history of the Declaration of Independence. I, I really, I'm just there for the food. You gotta go. You gotta. Have you done that? Have you done the historical? Yeah. Or you, you didn't waste time with the Liberty Bell, did you? That's like the most overrated uh, thing to see in America. Yeah, but it doesn't say. take very long, so that's it depends on the line. Wait a minute, the most overrated thing to see in America? No, no, I wouldn't think so. Have you seen? You've seen the Liberty Bell, right? I've seen the Liberty Bell. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fine, but it's, it's not. It's, it's not super overrated. Yeah, you know, this is a good time to mention that our email address is marketfoolery at fool com, and we we love questions about stocks, and we're about to dig into a question about stocks. But also, if you have opinions on what is the most overrated. Landmark is that what we're going with? The most overrated landmark? His, I thought you were. I thought you were going to say in Philadelphia. It's the most overrated thing in Philadelphia. I'd be like, okay, historic, iconic American tourist trap. Okay, but, but of the high quality variety, like not you know giant ball of string on the side of the road, which to me can never be overrated. If but it's, if it's truly giant, yeah. <laughs> but like if you go to Philadelphia to see the Liberty Bell. You're wasting your time. There's just not. It's not that great a story. It's not. You don't see it and get inspired to to do what. There there are a lot of other things to see. So maybe put it on your list, but put it way down on your list. Yeah. If there's a really long line, if the line's going to be half an hour to look at the bell, just go, you know, Google it and look at a picture of it. I say, get a cheesesteak. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Brendan O'Brien in Maryland. Brendan writes, I've done my homework on Altria Group, ticker symbol MO, formerly known as Philip Morris. They've done a reasonably. Uh, they have a reasonably healthy balance sheet. Uh, they are slowly but surely diversifying into smokeless products, and lean on the cash from the core cigarette business until they establish something more sustainable. My question is, what do you think Altria Group will be in five to ten years after moving away from smokable products? Uh, interesting question. And and uh, Philip Morris back in the day. It's been Altria Group for gosh, I guess about twenty years or so, and uh, this is one of those stocks that um, is a little bit of a lightning rod in that there are absolutely funds out there, and there are absolutely people out there who say, "I don't want to invest in smoking, and so I'm not going to own this stock." And that's you know that's anybody's choice, and people are that way on any number of. Businesses, um, I will just point out that over time, this has been a market-beating stock and uh, a stock that has. Um, I don't think it's just a dividend aristocrat. I think it's whatever whatever is the one above aristocrat, uh, king, emperor, something like that. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Brendan's question? What do you think in in ten years, Altria Group looks like from a business standpoint? So I guess I would hone in on. Uh, one of the words, which is uh, something more sustainable, and I would say, well, 
this has been unbelievably sustainable. The the addiction that uh, people have to cigarettes, and despite all of the information about the many reasons to never get started, uh, it persists. And so I think that the I would start with well, it'll in ten years. If you asked me ten years ago. How well is it going to survive over the next ten? I would have underestimated the staying power of cigarettes, despite all of the local taxes put on them. Um, they're being priced to a point where you would think uh, it wouldn't be sustainable. So I, I think you have to question: uh, is is the death of cigarettes uh, overrated? And if it continues to sort of Die a slow, very slow death. Uh, then, in ten years, it looks a lot like it does now, having increased its dividends every year the way it's been. Uh, it'll be a big dividend payer, and it'll have this highly uh, successful uh, cash uh, profitable business, uh, which is not growing, but they they just make a lot of money off of it, and. Maybe they diversify further into smokeless. Maybe that becomes a lightning rod uh, to a similar degree. It's got the potential. You you featured uh, some of that on on one of your podcasts recently, Jewel. Oh yeah, uh, CNBC did a an eye opening primetime documentary about vaping, and uh, the CEO of Jewel was one of the people who was interviewed. Carl Quintanilla uh, did the documentary, and it was. Uh, it was pretty incredible to to uh, see how quickly people become addicted to vaping, um, and also how you know th- there are people who have used vaping to get off of smoking. Um, you know they've quit cigarette smoking and they're and they're vaping instead. But there are also all of these you know particularly younger people who have started vaping. Um, and one of the the stunning things to me was this. Kid who the first time he vaped, he was 14 years old, and Carl asked him, you know, what was it like the first time you did it? And he said it was great. It tasted great, you know. And I just I was watching that, thinking to myself, oh my God, the first time I smoked a cigarette, my lungs were on fire, and I just thought, who in the world would ever do this? So the fact that vaping, it's like, oh, this tastes great, and I'm 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 feeling a buzz immediately. It's like, oh, no wonder people are getting addicted. Immediately to this, and and one of the things in the documentary is how we don't have the decades of health evidence for vaping that we do for cigarette smoking. And um, you know, ten years from now, to Brendan's question, you know, that's that's one of the I I feel pretty good about the idea that in ten years we'll have at least some concrete evidence of what vaping does to people's, not just their lungs, but uh, their bodies in general. Well, I think you mentioned that Altria was a controversial company. I mean, one of the interesting, like, I would imagine that if you asked people, quick, name the most evil company in America, Philip Morris would, would be the leader. More people would come up with that name. Isn't that why they changed their name to Altria Group? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But the controversy remains. So I mean, if if you can, if anybody can think of companies they think uh, would be more popular in terms of getting the answer of most evil company in America, and maybe gun manufacturers, you would you would find some people offering that. You're shaking your head. No, no, no. I was just going to say, like, I, I, I put. I put this 
business. I put Altria Group as a stock in the same category as gun manufacturer stocks, casino stocks. There are plenty of people who say, I, I think gambling has no redeeming value whatsoever, so I don't care what the returns of last These be- people have never won on the hard eight. <laughs> because that's pretty redemptive, when you have the hard eight come in, and uh, you've... you've I'll take your word for it. I've never been in that position. But you know what I mean, where people are like, "No, I I don't want to invest. I don't care that casino stocks ever, might be a good investment." Aces and get two tens? No, again, never. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, some people would throw in casinos, but I I, I got to believe Altria, you know, would still be the winner, you know, for that. And so they've got in their research. The playbook on how to keep uh, research regarding any uh, you know problems with vaping uh, in a confused state in in the public mind. I, I imagine they're willing. Uh, I'll just go ahead and accuse them. I'll I imagine they're willing to look at that playbook and see what see what works uh, in terms of uh, making that uh, harder to regulate in the way that it might ultimately be. Well, certainly the stories we've seen recently, of, you know, the the emails that have come out of the the investigation into opioid manufacturers, right? Okay, and, sure. And sort of the the degree to which executives knew, oh, this is this is something that uh, people are becoming addicted to do in uh, in terrifying ways, and in some cases, just sort of shrugging their shoulders, saying, oh well, as long as we're moving our product. Yeah, and I th- so I think that the where you would get the most votes in terms of evil, it would be hard for casinos to keep up with that because their ability to hide the harm that happens to you is not very good. That is, you walk out of the casino, you know, if you've lost your money, completely aware of the harm that has happened to you, unlike uh, you know opioids and and uh, tobacco. Where uh, you know when you take opioids, in the short term you're getting relief from pain. I think we're gonna wrap up here because I I don't see where we go from here. Really? I mean, unless you want to talk about how the Yankees are on a hot streak and the Red Sox are on the all of all of America is already talking about that. It's hard to go anywhere where people are not uh, talking about just what happened to the Red Sox. I mean, it's just. Incredibly depressing for people that like the Red Sox, and what turns that frown upside down is Tom Brady signing a two-year <laughs> extension. Uh, you can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues. Go to mfamfunds.com. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 